it is my joy and privilege to, to be with you all this morning. Um, it's uh, truly a, a joy and an honor to, to be with you and to, to open God's Word and to especially walk through um, the person of, of Christ. Uh, this week and next week, I get the, the privilege of <clears throat> going through Fundamentals of the Faith with you um, on the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so, I, I trust that you guys have your notes that are available back there, and also if you have your workbook, if any of you, I know some of you do, some of you don't, um, it's, it's, it's a good workbook to go through, especially throughout the week. Sometimes we won't always cover it in class, but most of it is going to be covered. It just may not be when you expect it as we're going through the lesson, but it's there. Um, so if you're tracking, if you're tracking with, um, it's there. And I hope you're enjoying doing that throughout the week, too, um, as, you, as you answer, as it causes you to open the scriptures and answer those questions. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it's, it's incredible help. Uh, just the plainness and the clarity of when you open up and it says, what does God's word say about this? <laughs> and you see what his word says about it. I just love the, the clarity uh, of it. And uh, I think we have enough chairs as we're as we're filling them in. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome. Um, so anyway, it's, it's just my, my uh, ecstatic joy to be able to, to walk through this with you guys this week and, and next week. Um, <clears throat> and you'll notice uh, on our slides here, this is, this is what it'll be. Today we're going we're gonna to try and trod through point one, uh, the God who became man. Uh, in those three subpoints, and then the following week, we will hopefully be able to tackle uh, the rest. Again, this this is flyby material, um, and so I hope and, and pray that you guys can really trod through it in your own time in the Word throughout throughout the week. Um, <clears throat> so here is here is our outline uh, for today and and next week, and uh, <clears throat> just <laughs> as we approach this subject, okay. Happy Sunday morning to all of us. Happy Lord's Day. Um, not, not sure how your week has been. Um, the good, the bad, the ups the, and downs, but here we are, right? The Lord has brought us here by His grace to soak up His Word, to enrich each other in the truth. And um, just as we approach this subject, I think to myself, how in the world does one introduce and talk about the person of Christ. I mean, you have a, I have a hard struggle with that when I'm trying to introduce someone whom I really love and cherish, who's a sinner, let alone introducing Jesus Christ, uh, the most blessed, awesome, holy one, the one who is the ancient of days, as we're going to see, the, the one who has no beginning and no end, um, the eternal Son of God, the, the creator and sustainer of all things. How does one introduce him? Well, just by some of those titles, I already have, um, and we're going to delve into that. But, but the, the knowledge and study of the person of Jesus Christ is crucial. It's the most vital thing that we could discuss. Um, but then we ask the question, why is it vital? Why does it matter so much? Well, if you remember John fourteen six, Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if he is that grand and that precise by his very own word, we do well to know who he is, do we not? 
Paul speaks of the surpassing value of knowing Christ and, and how he counts everything as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Remember what he says? He says, Oh, that I may, Philippians 3, know him. Spurgeon says, quote, Jesus Christ himself is to occupy our thoughts this morning. And what ocean opens up before me? In, in which direction shall I turn your thoughts concerning the God-man? He says, I am embarrassed with all these riches. I know not where to begin, and where shall I end concerning the diamond of heaven? And so I, just so you know, I echo um, the overwhelming difficulty uh, and joy of our dear brother Spurgeon this morning. Uh, but nonetheless, um, let's together, as we begin, read aloud um, this, our memory verse for this week and next week. We'll read it aloud together and just, just be renewed by the amazement at, at such life-altering truth here. Let's read it together, and then we'll pray as we continue, okay? Together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. With that on the front of our minds, let's pray. Father, we come to you not based upon our own merits, but based upon the merits alone of Jesus Christ, your Son who has granted to us perfect access to your throne of grace, even at this very moment. Lord, would you be glorified? Would you help this weak vessel this morning portray the truth? And Lord, if there's anything that I say that is off or that is wrong, would you clear that up by your word? Would you help us to cherish and know you more today and love you more today than we did yesterday? Prepare our hearts now. May you be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So as we begin, we move to point one. The pre-existent, eternal God. Christ's pre-existence. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that conversation with your kids, those of you who have, have children, but when you talk about his pre-existence, and you've talked, you've gone through the Bible stories of, of who Jesus is and what he has done, you think he is eternally pre-existent. This is some of the things that we're going to walk through uh, this morning. Um, and at each point we come to, uh, basically it's just explanation and an understanding of each text that we see this morning, okay? Um, and as we begin, we're just going to begin with just a couple uh, of passages here. Just the first one, Genesis 16, 13. Christ's pre-existence, where in this passage we see, it says, then she, this is Hagar, okay, regarding Hagar, Hagar and, and Ishmael, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God who sees. For she said, have I remained alive here after seeing him? And what you'll notice in, in Genesis 16, if you back up to, to verses 7 and 11, it speaks of the angel of the Lord. And whenever, whenever you see the angel of the Lord, it's a theophany. It's a Christophany. 
it, 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 it is a, 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 a glimpse of, of Christ. It is the preexistent Christ that we see here. And, and, and you'll see others in Genesis as well. Genesis 12 uh, with Abraham um, and the covenant that, that the Lord made with Abraham as he appeared to him, Genesis 12. Genesis 18, the oaks at Mamre with those three men, one of them being a Christophany. And then Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestles with the Lord. I mean, imagine, you know, come, you know, you're in heaven on that day and, and, and you get that, that moment or those opportunities to talk with Jacob. How was it wrestling with Jesus Christ? <laughs> Exodus 3. There's so many. So again, we're just skimming the surface. Exodus 3 with Moses and the burning bush, right? How did the Lord reveal himself there? I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. And then you fast forward to the New Testament and you see Jesus Christ giving him that same exact title, I am who I am. It was Christ there in the burning bush. I mean, does that not blow your minds this morning? <laughs> this, is, this is our Savior. And the purpose as to why he's revealing himself and the progressive revelation that we have up until the completion of his word we have the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ, and then we have the written Word, which He has preserved and given to us. Incredible. We're talking about the preexistence of Christ. We'll, we'll move to, to the next one, Joshua 5.14. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? I love this. The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Sound familiar? <clears throat> you think of Jesus there, sword drawn, set to give Israel victory over the Canaanites. The preexistence of Christ. What about Isaiah 63, 9? In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. This is the Lord Christ. Um, as he feels his people's affliction, even before taking on flesh, you see him here in Isaiah 63, verse 9. This is incredible. And this is only skimming the surface in the Old Testament as far as the Christophanies are concerned of Christ himself appearing to his people. So we move quickly then to the New Testament. And his preexistence in the New Testament is, you'll notice these, these familiar passages just as we look at Colossians 1.16. Uh, and just by the way, real briefly too, um, regarding the, the, the vitality of, of what we're talking about, um, even as we get to Colossians 1.16, uh, why is it so important that we know the person of Christ? Because that's the number one battlefield, battleground, when it comes to false teaching, false religions, and, and the cults. Because it's at that point, every single time, where it will go wrong. 
no matter who you speak to, especially regarding the pre-existence and the eternality of Jesus Christ. It will, you will always discover at that point what's wrong with the fa- this false religion, with, with, with this cult. It's always concerning Christ. Even as Christ looked at his disciples, he didn't care about what everybody else was saying. He said, who do you say that I am? So, Colossians 1.16, look what it says of Christ. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. <clears throat> Does that not blow your mind? The reason why our bodies are not bursting apart at this very moment is because the preexistent Christ is holding us together. Every single molecule, every single fiber of our being, this is our all-powerful preexistent Lord Jesus. Hebrews 1-2, God in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Through Christ, all things were made. Think of it. Time, space, matter, energy, all is made and sustained by Christ. He is the agent of all creation. And just real briefly on this, I love this text, Hebrews 1, 2. In these last days has spoken to us, literally the Greek is, you could, you could say it, in the language of his son. Because there's no his in the original here. It's literally in son, in son language, he has communicated himself to us. So you think of the, this pre-incarnate Christ and how by the power of his own word he preserves life-saving, life-sanctifying truth, the only truth that saves and sanctifies, by letters <laughs> and words and communicating himself to us, our pre-existent Christ. John 1, 2-3. He was in the beginning with God. There's the beginning of, of creation. Time, space, matter, energy. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Is this comprehensive enough for us this morning? The uncreated, preexistent creator. One more. John 17, 5, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, before the world was. <laughs> can, can your mind entertain anything before the world was, let alone our eternal pre-existent Christ? You ever had that conversation with your kids before and they think, before creation. Like, you, you try to think about that for, and it's like maybe five seconds, you might entertain that, and then you're just lost. You can't think of it anymore. This is our pre-existent Christ. And, and we'll talk more about John 17 here in a bit concerning his deity. But we move on to Christ's eternality. So if he's pre-existent, then that would more than likely lead us to the fact that, hmm, maybe he's eternal. 
If he was before the world was, I mean, it only makes sense, and his word only attributes to that truth. Christ's eternality. Just a couple quick ones before we get to Micah 5.2. Isaiah 9.6, right? Prince of peace, right? The government will rest upon his, his shoulders. For unto us a son is given. And then what's another title that is given to him? Eternal Father. Now, the Son is not the Father, but in that text, in the context of what he's speaking of, is speaking of his governing his people and the Father of eternity. He is in control of all things. Eternal Father. Revelation 1.8. We know this one. I am the Alpha and the Omega, <laughs> who is... Who was? <laughs> That's where I sort of get stopped in my tracks. Who always was? Oh, and then who is to come? Yeah, I, I can grasp that. He is to come. Oh, always is? Okay, whoa. It is, he is, he, I mean, that is, he is now, okay? But always was. Always was. Micah 5.2 But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, <laughs> look at this phrase, from the days of eternity. Days of eternity. So this, this passage right here, not only a precise prophecy of his birthplace, but a declaration of his eternity. His eternality. You know, Daniel 7, the ancient of days, right? And so we make haste then to his deity, Christ's deity. What does it mean when we say Christ's deity? That is basically saying Christ, his godness. That is, everything that God is, Jesus is. <laughs> Just like our, our memory verse this morning, John 1, 1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. So we make haste to Philippians 2, 6. Look at what Paul says. Who, although he existed in the, the form of God. Now just stop there for, for a moment. Sometimes, I know that when I was first studying this passage, I would think, okay, who, although he was, he, he existed in the form of God, like, is that shape? He existed in the, the form of God? No. No, this word in the Greek is, 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 is basically, he existed in the essence, the nature of God. And he did not regard, just briefly here, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Then we talk about his humility here. <laughs> and we'll talk more about this later. But we see here that Christ didn't try to seize all the rights and honor that was rightly his as God. He didn't cling to all that he himself was worthy on. But, but we'll talk about that more in a moment. But the fact that he existed in the form of God, the, the very essence, the very nature of God. Isaiah 46, verse 9, and 42, 8 here together, and you'll see how it connects to John 17, 5 here. Isaiah 46, 9, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. 42, 8, 
I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. Now, John 17, 5, look. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you see that? In both Isaiah passages, I am the Lord, I am God, there is no other. I share my glory with no one else. And Jesus says here in his high priestly, player, high priestly prayer, glorify me together with yourself, the glory which I had with you. Now, if that's not true, he's a blasphemer, and this is precisely why they stoned him, because he claimed to be one with God. Glorify me together with yourself, the glory which I had with you. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Continuing on, on, on his deity. Um, you know, another, another point on this, too, is did, did you ever notice in the New Testament, does Christ ever refuse any of the praises or the worship of anyone who ever came to him? Did he ever refuse that? Never once. Look at John seventeen twenty four. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me... It's hard for me to not, to not stop here for too long of a time here, but that they be with me where I am. What a precious statement that is. Your Lord and Savior to say that they be with me where I am. In other words, he's praying for your, your dying day. <laughs> Jesus can't wait till you die and be with him. That they be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given to me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Just, just, just ponder the unexplainable majesty, the beauty, the glory of God in Christ. That, that which Isaiah spoke of, right? In, in Isaiah 6, right? I saw the Lord seated on his throne. Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah saw a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. How much more should we be in all the glory that we see in the fullness of who he is in the completion of his word? If we do anything this morning in this short hour together, we need to marvel at the fact that the only deity, like we just read here in 1724, the only deity, Christ himself, longs to be with his people. <laughs> he longs to be with us. And not, not only as he just said here in 1724, not only to see and behold his glory, but to actually share in it. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, right? Paul says you'll transform the, he'll transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. <laughs> and then 1 John 3, we will, be, we will be like him. We will be made like him. Now, this isn't some false teaching now that's going on. Oh, you're saying, Chris, that we're going to be gods. No. But his word says we'll be made like him. We'll have a glorified body just like his. And this is his desire for us to be with him and to see his glory. And then we'll also, it's amazing to think that we'll, we'll share in his glory. Uh, undeserving worms and wretches like us. Incredible. Incredible. So then we make haste to his eternal purpose, and the work of God. Just, again, we need to step back and, and, and marvel and get the big picture at what's going on here. 
our pre-existent, eternal God in the person of Christ. What is his eternal purpose and work? 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us to himself with a holy calling. Do you see the two-fold work there? Saved us, salvation, and he's called us with a holy calling, sanctification. He's calling us to himself. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus. Here's that phrase again. From all eternity. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 3-6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with some spiritual blessing. It, you're supposed to stop me right there. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is where we get that phrase, eternity past. Why? What's the purpose? There's the henna clause, right, in Greek. The henna clause. So that we would be able to have fun and do whatever we want and sin so that grace may increase. And uh, No. That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. How? Through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us. How? In the beloved. <laughs> We're just scratching the surface of the purpose and work of God. Ephesians 3.11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you stop and you ask yourself, okay, how did he carry out this amazing purpose and work of redemption, of salvation, of what you and I ultimately truly need? How did he do this? He carried it out in the flesh. In the flesh. And that brings us to the incarnation of God. Don't you love that phrase as we... I mean, really, what we're celebrating now is Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. Because this is our Christmas text this morning. Don't you love that, that hymn? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead. See. Hail the incarnate deity. Do we think that that hymn writer just, oh, he made up those wonderful words, wonder where he got it from. He got it from about a thousand texts of Scripture is where he got it. And here's just one of them. Philippians 2, 5 to 8. <laughs> As we were mentioning earlier, Paul says to the church at Philippi, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, although he was God, always has been, always will be, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. 
Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In verse 7 here, it says that he emptied himself. We have to, to be aware that this is not him pouring out his deity, his godness, okay? He's not saying, oh, I'm going to rid myself of God and become just man. This, this word empty, this is what, what theologians call the, the kenosis, okay? But, but, but this emptying is not, and as we'll see here in a moment, it's not him getting rid of any of his deity, any of his godness. Now, giving up his, just as we saw in John 17, setting aside privileges, honor, glory, yes. This is why this is the greatest humility passage, really, <laughs> of the New Testament. But he emptied himself, and how did he empty himself? And we'll talk about this in a moment more or so, but by taking on the form of a bondservant, by taking on the form of a slave. This is what theologians also call, this is subtraction by addition. How did he empty himself? He robed himself in the likeness, Romans 5, of sinful flesh. He robed himself in the flesh. <laughs> Look at the next uh, passage, Colossians 2.9. For in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells. How? How? Talk to me now. In bodily form. And this is important too because Greek philosophy said matter is evil. Spirit is only that which is good. Matter is evil. No. In him the fullness of, of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. The fullness, speaking here, of his, all of his divine nature and attributes was in Christ. Which is why you think of it, it's incredible, right? The Mount of Transfiguration right? Where Jesus there and basically peels back his flesh and shows his glory, but for a moment. <sighs> Incredible. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. <sighs> for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, <laughs> yet for your sake, my sake, he became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Again, just real briefly, just backing up in, in Colossians 2, and I want to take some time on 2 Corinthians 8 9. The fact that the, uh, the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form. Uh, again, we have to understand that many deceivers are in the world and have come into the world who do not acknowledge Christ coming in the flesh. That's first John, sorry, that's second John verse seven. This is vital. And to think that this actually happened, this isn't some story, this is a historical count, this actually happened. Now just briefly for a moment, as we ponder 2 Corinthians 8, 9, do you see the extreme exchange which takes place here? Though he was rich, yet for your sake and my sake, he became poor so that you and I, through his poverty, might become what? Rich. Do you, re do you realize how rich you are this morning? 
if you're in Christ? Do you realize the richness? But just thinking about how Jesus went from riches to rags and how he shows us his grace and in doing this makes us rich. Can we just ponder just, just for a brief moment or two of how, how rich he was and how he exchanged that richness temporarily to become a slave, to become poor for your sake, for my sake. He was rich as the uncreated creator, but poor as he took on a created human nature. That restriction, the, the, the one who always was coming to exist as a human embryo in the womb of his poor mother being born of a woman. He is rich as the rightful owner of everything in heaven and earth, and yet poor as he is born in a stable and then laid in a manger in a feeding trough for a bed. You'd think that if the creator of the universe was going to come all the way from heaven to earth, that there'd be some sort of red carpet coming in a palace. And yet, there he lies, a helpless infant among farm animals. He is rich as he has always been worshipped by the angels in the glories of heaven, and yet poor as he is one who was made for a little while lower than the angels, Hebrews 2.9. He is rich as the sustainer of all things, upholding the galaxies by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3, and yet poor at the same time being sustained by the nutrients of his mother's body. He is rich as the owner of all things and yet poor as the man who had no place to lay his head. The foxes whom he created had holes. The birds that he sustained by his own power, they had nests. But the son of man who had spoken the world into existence had no place on that earth he created to call his own. Matthew 8 verse 20. He is rich as the bread of life who satisfies every soul who feasts on him and yet poor as he experiences human hunger. John 6. He is rich. Are you, are you starting to see how rich he is? <laughs> he is rich as the fountain of living water inviting, inviting all to come to him to never be thirsty and yet he experiences the parched mouth of human thirst. John 7. He is rich as the all-powerful one who calms the winds and the waves with a single word, yet poor as one who grew weary from a day's journey and who needed sleep. Mark 4. He is rich as the faithful one, yet was poor as he was abandoned and betrayed by his friends. The one who clothes the, the, the grass of the field and the lilies of the valley, right? was stripped bare. The one who healed the sick with a touch had his back torn open by sinful men. The head that should have worn the crown of heaven was pierced with the crown of thorns. The one who upholds the universe is at the same time collapsed under the weight of his own crossbar, needing the help of a man that he had made 
whose life he was sustaining at that very moment to help him carry the cross to Golgotha. He is rich as the beauty and majesty of all of heaven. Yet Isaiah tells us that he had no majestic form. Now, that we looked upon, that we should look upon him. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. The king of all glory, the most beautiful one, was despised and forsaken of men. Men hid him, hid their face from him. The worshipped became the despised. The blessed one became the man of sorrows. The master became the slave. Dear friends, this morning, the rich became poor. And what does 2 Corinthians 8, 9 say? For. (laughs) For you. For me. What, What a divine exchange. Our Jesus robed in frail humanity, the incarnation of God. So MacArthur says, summing this up, in his carnation, Christ voluntarily yielded the independent exercise of his divine attributes to the will of his heavenly Father. Though equal with God, the Son of God submitted voluntarily to humanity and death as one who fully possessed the sovereign, free, holy, and loving will to be limited by his choice to obey the Father for the purpose of the program of redemption and the glory of the Godhead. (laughs) John 5.30 Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is, the, again, the humility of the Son, and this is his equality with God. Listen to what Walrup says. He says, Christ is therefore both God and man, no less God because of his humanity and no less human because of his deity. And again, let's just walk through this briefly, but in fresh awe and amazement of Christ's humanity. Some of these lists are in your books, but um, I believe all of them are, are on your handout. We see in Luke 2, Jesus developed and learned as any other child. He, he grew, he became strong, and he had to increase in, in wisdom. I mean, doesn't, doesn't that boggle your mind afresh and anew? From, from, from childhood, right? And then, then the moment and the time in realizing who he was in his deity, in grow, growing just like any other child in, in wisdom and stature, he had to develop. We see that when he was tired, Mark 4, Jesus slept. Now, could you say that Jesus is Superman? Yes, but he slept. It's vital to understand the importance of the fact that he was human and the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, that he was in our place. What about his response to a lack of food? Luke 4, Jesus hungered. What about after a day's journey? John 4, Jesus grew weary. What was his reaction when he was grieved? Right? John eleven thirty five. your first memory verse? 
for some of us. I know it was mine. Over Lazarus, the death of Lazarus, right? Jesus wept. But again, remember, that wasn't the only time he wept. He also wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, okay? He wept. He felt it, just like you and I. And a couple in between here. Um, Mark 3, Jesus experienced anger. That is, holy anger, nonetheless. Jesus experienced love, Mark 10. Jesus experienced joy, Luke 10. Jesus experienced suffering, Luke 22. Jesus experienced temptation, Hebrews 4. And what did he say about himself after the resurrection, Luke 24? See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And therefore, that brings us to the fact that Jesus was, again, 100% God and 100% man. It's not 50-50. It's not 70-30. Truly God, truly man. And, and we see the reasons here, right? It's for our redemption. And we see this in Mark 20, 28, also echoed in Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man emphasis on his humanity, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I know a lot of us as parents want to use that on our children and say, look at what Jesus did. He came all the way from heaven to earth to serve. So, dear children, you need to get serving. You love Jesus? Get serving. Yes, excellent motivation. Excellent, yes. But have we stopped and pondered for a moment and been freshly amazed at the fact of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, for me? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Therefore, our desire now is grace and love motivated to serve and worship him. First <laughs> Timothy 2.5, I don't think it's in your notes, but First Timothy 2.5 for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Why? First Timothy 2.6 goes on to say, same as Matthew 20, 28, for our ransom to save us. Walbert says, as man, Christ could die, but only as God could his death have infinite, sufficient value sufficient to provide redemption for the sins of the whole world. Thus, the human blood of Christ has eternal and infinite value because it was shed as part of the divine human person. That's emphasis on the fact that this is true. He was in the flesh. He truly shed his blood. It's not to be all uh, uh, mystical. It's not to, to say... Um, like we have a drop of blood in the Roman church that is used as a relic to enhance your worship. No. It's the fact that he truly died. It's the fact that he truly died in our behalf. The God-man. 100% God, 100% man. For not only our redemption, but for his priesthood. Just, just, just 
ponder this for a brief moment. It's for his priesthood. Hebrews 7, 24, not in your notes, but we see Jesus in his flesh continues forever and therefore holds his priesthood permanently. I mean, doesn't that boggle your mind that he took on human flesh, okay, 2,000 years ago, died, rose again, has his glorified body, nonetheless, glorified flesh, and he maintains that for eternity. And you're going to see him? We're going to see him? We're going to be with him? Hebrews 4, uh, 15, I, I think many of us have probably memorized this, not we know it well, and you should. For we, we do not have a, a high priest who, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you thankful? I love what Spurgeon says about the end of Psalm 23. He says, there's two hounds in heaven and they run after the believer. It's his goodness and his mercy. His goodness and his loving kindness and, and they're constantly running after the believer. And if, if that's the fact, he's going after us, um, what does he tell us? Come boldly. <laughs> before his presence, to the throne of grace that we can receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. He was 100% God, 100% man for his priesthood. (sighs) Live the perfect life in our place that we could not live in the flesh, dependent upon the Spirit, dependent upon the Father, never having once sinned to be our perfect high priest for forever. (sighs) For forever. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that, he, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, living the law out perfectly before God. Why? To make propitiation. To make propitiation. Just, just real briefly, that is, there's really two parts. That is the appeasing of God to appease a holy God, and then secondly, to make reconciliation. So what is propitiation? It's, it's the satisfying of God's requirement in our behalf for our sins, that which we could not make. To make propitiation for the sins of the people, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So let me ask you this morning, who's your priest? If this is true, who's your priest? If we're going to be honest, a lot of times we're our own, our own priest. You ever struggled forgiving yourself of your own sin? Well, you can't forgive yourself of your own sin. You need a great high priest who will forgive and make atonement and intercede on your behalf. And that is Christ and Christ alone, the God-man.
He was 100% God and 100% man for our redemption, for his priesthood, and to reveal God to man. John 1.18, just as we, as we wrap up our time together. <laughs> no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. <laughs> He's explained him. This is really where we get the word um, exegete or exegesis. He has, <laughs> Jesus is the exegesis of God. He is the full, unadulterated explanation and showing forth of God. Hebrews 1.3, again, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of of his nature. That word, that word radiance is, is really, really a good parallel word for that is effulgence. Now, that's not a word we use very much today. Okay, but that, that effulgence is, is, is really the, it's, it's the brightest part of a light, of, of a shining force. So it's, it's not a reflection of light off of something else. It, it is the very source of light. And he is the, the radiance, the, the, the effulgence, the blazing, the brightness, the brilliance, the dazzling, the splendor of his glory, his doxa, glory, because doxa there means brightness, shining. Anyway, New Testament, Old Testament, it refers to the weightiness. You ever gone to pick up something, you think, ah, oh, this is going to be, and whoa, there's some weight to this. You combine that together with the New Testament understanding of glory, he's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation or, or imprint, like, like a stamped image on a coin, exact representation of his nature. Again, not the reflection, but the essential glory of God. The very nature, the very essence of God <laughs> humbled into time and space and to take on flesh. That's why, don't you love that, that hymn? <laughs> Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, <laughs> should die for me? If anything, let us be humbly amazed at who Jesus Christ is. Be in awe. Be, be freshly stunned at who he is and what he has done for you and I. It's really a hard balance sometimes because I love what Thomas Watson said. He said, until sin be bitter, Christ be not sweet. But at the same time, if your gaze is not upon him and getting your eyes off of even your own sin, just for a moment, and you behold the sun, you'll start to see that sin more and more in your life because the closer you get to him, it will rise up, you'll see it, and then you'll seek to, to kill it. Right? Be killing sin or, or, or sin will be killing you. So it's really both ways. Sin, you have to see your sin for what it is before a holy God. 
And to think that God, in all of his glory and majesty, became man. Dust for you and I. Please allow me to close just in, in, in a closing moment. We have, we have five minutes. I wasn't sure how I was going to be on time, but just we, we have that time. So if you wouldn't mind, if, just, just if I could read this brief, brief note from Winslow. It says, Oh, what a Savior Jesus Christ is. He is the chief among 10,000. Look at his sinless yet real humanity without a single taint, yet sympathizing with us in all of our various conditions, our afflictions, our temptations, our infirmities, our griefs. Now that he is in glory, he is still cherishing a brother's heart, bending down his ear to our petitions, every ever standing near to catch our sighs, to dry our tears, to provide for our needs, to guide us by his counsel, and afterwards receive us to glory. Oh, what a Savior Jesus Christ is. When he is known, all other beings are eclipsed. Right? All other beings are eclipsed. You know, don't you, you know when your children get amazed by the superheroes, right? And how you and I once were? Or maybe there's an athlete today or a movie star and there's this amazement of strength or of might or of feet. No, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) Our children need to see Christ because he eclipses everything else and everyone else in the person of Christ. Winslow concludes, when his beauty is seen, all other beauty fades. When his love is felt, he becomes supremely enthroned in the affections of the heart. To know him more becomes the one desire of the renewed mind, and to make him known more is the one aim of the Christian life. Oh, what a Savior! Jesus Christ is. And God's children said, let's pray. Oh Lord, you are the glorious Christ. You are the greatest of all delights. Forgive us, Lord, for cherishing other things or other ones higher than you. You are the eternal Word of God incarnate, and you've given to us and preserved for us your written Word for our comfort and for our sanctification. How we thank you. How we praise you. Lord, thank you for who you are and all that you have done for us. You are awesome. And Lord, the question I have to ask in my own life is, am I in awe? You are amazing, Lord, but am I amazed? Lord, renew our hearts. And even as the psalmist has said, Lord, unite, unite my heart to fear your name, to love you as none other. 
Lord, prepare our hearts now as we transition from this time. Lord, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word as as it is delivered in the next few moments. May you be exalted above all else, Lord, and may these, your people here this morning, be refreshed and be renewed in the truth of our great high priest and the one who laid down his life in our place and who rose it up again and who conquered sin He defeated death and Satan and who is coming again. Lord, thank you that one day we'll see you and we'll behold you together in true worship. May we worship you now in spirit and truth, Lord, as we go. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.